You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. Good morning. Thank you so much for showing up uh, this early hour. I hope you had some breakfast. Uh, otherwise, there will be some sandwiches, I think, left over after the seminar. Um, this seminar will be held in English, uh, as was announced in the in the program. Um, and uh, we'll talk about India. Uh, it's a joint, uh, it's a collaborative uh, effort, this seminar. It's uh, the Swedish Institute of International Affairs, Utrikespolitiska Institutet, uh, and um, Lund University that uh, co-organizes this event. We have a collaboration that we call the South Asia Initiative, uh, where we do research and analysis um, on the entire South Asian region, but uh, with priority to India. And with me today, um, by the way, I'm Henrik Sjetan Aspengren, I'm a research fellow at the Institute. And with me today, I have Henriette Tjader, who is associate fellow at uh, the Institute, and also Isha Dabe, a postdoctoral fellow at yeah. SASNET at Lund University. Yeah. And, um, I thought I'd start out with sort of setting the scene a bit uh, about why uh, we should talk about India, why it's important and also important for us to engage with India. Although the theme of today is mostly on the recent election on what we can, um, what we can assume happen, hap will be happening the coming years after the election. Um, now, uh, our uh, assumption is, and what we think and what we see, is that India is rapidly changing, and also India's position in the world is changing. Therefore, the need to engage with India is different now compared to 10, 15, 20 years ago. While um, China's emergence on the global scene has been spectacular and somewhat complicated, India's uh, rise has been slower, but steady, and less complicated in some ways. Um, but for European policymakers, it has been a, a bit difficult to categorize India's rise. It's not a competitor, it's not fully like-minded uh, to European policy um, and European countries' policy. So therefore, it has been somewhat uh, difficult to engage and find areas where to engage. Uh, except for trade. Um, but we see with the growing uncertainty about uh, US um, priorities in Asia and also some um, um, skepticism and worries about China's growing activities, I think it's even more important for us today to understand, analyze and see uh, why India acts as it does and what its policy priorities are. The idea of India having um, sort of um, that India should play a larger role in uh, world affairs, uh, that it has a rightful place among the world's great powers, is quite widespread among India's foreign policy elites. The problem has been, and what we have faced, is that um, there is a gap between that vision and the capacity, internal capacity. Uh, the 
of public finances uh, and also uh, inefficiency among the armed forces and bureaucracy. What we see now, however, is that the gap between that vision of um, uh, India as a great power or leading power in its region and um, the capacity and cap capabilities of the country and state is the gap is narrowing. Um, over the last two and a half decades, we've seen quite tremendous growth in, in the economy. It's set to become the world's fifth largest economy, overtaking uh, the former colonial power of Britain, perhaps even this year. We, see, we have seen poverty levels reduced uh, quite significantly over the last two and a half decades. Uh, we have also seen quite an ambitious um, modernization of the armed forces. Now, India as a nuclear power uh, uh, is also the world's second largest importer of arms. But there are, of course, numerous challenges for a country like India. Still, about 100, 170 million people live in extreme poverty. Um, the population is very young uh, compared to, say, East Asia. Uh, over 60%, I think it is, is under, the, uh, under 30. Uh, uh, and there's a, it's an ambitious uh, young uh, population that is growing. So reforms within the education system, uh, reforms uh, within the uh, job uh, labor market and the possibilities to create jobs are critical for the coming years. And also, of course, uh, the, how to mitigate and, uh, and meet the effects of climate change. These are critical issues for India going forward. Now, with this, all this in mind, I think it's really important to, to think about what the coming years will, uh, um, that what lies ahead of us the coming years. And we should be uh, involved and, um, uh, and curious about what the new government will set as its agenda and priorities. Before coming into the elections now in 2019, there were, um, there, there were worries about the, the current government, uh, its uh, Hindutva or Hindu nationalistic agenda and ideology. Um, we've seen a growing polarization within the country uh, and increased social tensions. Um, but we have also seen under the, uh, the Modi government some successful reforms implemented among some unsu unsuccessful reforms as well. So there's a mixed record. Um, in the elections of 2019, and Henriette will, will discuss this more in detail, um, most of us thought that we would see a BGP-led government, but a significantly reduced uh, BGP mandate in the parliament. Uh, but to be honest, most of us were wrong. Uh, what we saw was the different, uh, complete different, um, a very strong mandate and renewed uh, and even increased mandate for the BGP government. Um, and. Um, Perhaps we misread uh, the, the um, 
you know, the ideas that were forming in the uh, uh, growing middle class and urbanized areas, perhaps we weren't really attuned to the thinking of the Indian electorate, uh, but uh, we were clearly wrong. And this is uh, important for us when we look uh, ahead for the coming years. What kind of India will we see? What kind of political landscape will we see emerge? Uh, and this is not important only for India, it's also important for the rest of Asia and also for us, because the linkages between Europe and Asia are much stronger now than they were 10, 15 years ago. And with that, um, I leave it to you, Henriette, to describe more of the political landscape in India and the, do the domestic politics you see emerging. Thank you, Henrik. It's uh, really nice to be here. Good to see all, you, all of you here so early. So, uh, what happened, just to pick up from what Henrik said, in the 2019 elections, the BJP were re-elected with an even stronger mandate than in 2014. And this was surprising to many of us because it wasn't really expected. So, the result is quite um, remarkable. I would say. And some of the takeaways uh, from this is that the Congress party, which used to be sort of the central political force in India, we saw after the elections in 2014 that they lost a lot of support which they used to have, and they are no longer the central force in political force in India, which they used to be. So I think now after 2019 elections, we see this even clearer um, that even though they sort of uh, their support increased this time, but still uh, they're no longer the party they used to be. And I think maybe it's too early to say that <coughs> BJP has replaced the Congress party as that force, but at least for the time being, it seems to be the case. And <coughs> so how do we explain this result. As uh, Henrik said, there has been some growing social tensions between uh, the uh, Indian communities. Um, there is uh, polarization and also the fact that the BJP has actually failed to deliver on many of their promises from 2014. <coughs> Before the elections in 2014, they promised uh, Achedin, good days to come for the Indian public. Uh, they would create more jobs. And <clears throat> the future of India uh, was supposed to be really bright. And uh, they have failed to create more jobs. Uh, unemployment is still uh, a huge problem in India. So are the social tensions. But, <clears throat> sorry, somehow this didn't seem to matter to the voters. And I think a lot of uh, the credit for that should actually go to uh, Narendra Modi, who uh, is believed to be a really strong leader. He is believed to be honest, uh, hardworking, tough on corruption and uh, tough on terrorism as well. And his vision of India, what India is and what India should become, I think it appeals to many of India's voters. And the Congress party and other regional parties, to a large extent, they lack a vision 
that can sort of counteract the vision of the BJP and of uh, Narendra Modi. Um, so I think that um, the fact that uh, Narendra Modi has a very strong personal appeal and the BJP's uh, vision of India has been able to sort of create this new framework of ideas of India's place uh, in the world and uh, as a global superpower uh, that is also proud of its own Indian values, it's proud to be um, uh, a strong nation and these Indian values to a large extent has been synonymous with Hindu values. Um, the BJP's uh, ideology is founded in uh, Hindutva or uh, Hindu nationalism where the idea of India as a nation is uh, strongly connected to uh, being a Hindu. Uh, so the situation for minorities have uh, worsened during uh, the last years uh, of uh, BJP rule that human rights organizations, they uh, sort of uh, say that uh, the uh, debate climate has become increasingly intolerant and that it is more difficult to uh, be critical towards the government or um, towards the idea of India as a Hindu nation. And um, I think going forward, um, what we might see now, obviously the BJP's confidence has uh, probably increased due to the uh, results and their stronger mandate. So I think maybe what we can expect now for the coming uh, years is that they um, will perhaps start to uh, enact some of their uh, core um, core beliefs. The fact that uh, they want to construct a temple in Ayodhya is just one of the examples of that. But we have already seen that the, one of the first things uh, the new government did was to um, introduce the bill on uh, to ban triple talaq in uh, the lower house, and that is the Muslim practice to for a man to divorce a wife by uttering talaq three times. So this has been one of their ideological questions and I think that we may be seeing more of uh, these issues uh, coming ahead. Also the fact that the BJP's party president, uh, Amit Shah, is the new home minister of the nation and he is uh, perceived to be more of a hardline... Um, he seems to promote more uh, um, hardline Hindu nationalist ideas uh, overall. So I also want to stress that Indian politics are relevant for us in Sweden. We need to care about what goes on in India and uh, not only because uh, India is the world's fastest growing economy and it's a large economy and that there is a power shift towards Asia in general but also because uh, uh, India's own ambitions as a global uh, superpower who wants to um, play a more influential role in world politics. And the fact that India is a democracy. We might think that because India is a democracy, there are certain liberal values that we maybe take for granted here in Sweden, but it's not equally 
uh, unquestionable in uh, India. So, um, as as we want to promote democracy and human rights in the world, we need to understand that, for example, India has always been reluctant uh, towards uh, other nations criticizing India's human rights records. And uh, I think that this may be... Um, uh, they might be even more reluctant in the future, considering the fact that India wants to promote uh, its own uh, Indian norms, Indian values, Indian traditions to the world. So I really think that we need to care about India the same way that we care about uh, China, for example. Thank you. Thank you so much, Henriette. I have uh, several uh, questions, but I'll start with uh, two. And then before we move over to Isha to describe more of the neighborhood scene um, and the, the neighboring countries and India's policy towards them. Now, uh, it, it was described uh, just after the elections in, uh, the, the election results were out in, in May, late May, that this was sort of a watershed, that uh, we have uh, now, you know, s such a dominant BGP uh, and uh, such a fragile um, uh, opposition mm -hmm. that we might see this, uh, uh, you know, BGP dominance for not just five years, but maybe ten years and even longer. So do you, would you say that this was a sort of wa watershed moment or do you think that the sort of anti-incumbency that is, has been so strong, that, that tendency that has been so strong in India previously to vote out governments... Uh, uh, when the new election comes, that that will uh, that that the anti incumbency factor will be stronger. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was what uh, we used to believe about Indian politics was the anti incumbency factor that the elected politicians they are more likely to be voted out of office than to be able to stay in office, and. Uh, that actually happened on the regional level in the state elections in uh, late 2018, where BJP lost power in uh, several of uh, the states that had usually been their strongholds. So this was largely explained due to the anti-incumbency factor that BJP lost power. So it was maybe led to us expecting even more that they would actually lose on the national level as well. Now, this didn't seem to be the case, and uh, obviously Narendra Modi has another presence on the national level than on the uh, regional and state level. But I think that um, this might be a sign that the anti-incumbency factor is weaker on the national level and that we can expect, I think we can expect more years with the BJP largely because at the moment there is no strong opposition that sort of has a, can present another vision of India the way that BJP uh, has been able to do. And I think especially the Congress party, which was usually um, like the uh, central force in Indian politics, they are in need of uh, great introspect introspection and they might need a new leadership to be able to appeal to the voters the same way that the BJP has. So I think that we might see a BJP dominance for quite some time, but I also believe that, I mean, the Indian voters, they, 
they really use, they cast their vote according to their preferences. So I also think that uh, we cannot take for granted, the BJP cannot take for granted that they will be in power um, for a really long time just because they have a strong support now. I think things can turn quickly in Indian politics. And one more follow-up question on that. Uh, when uh, Rahul Gandhi just resigned as, uh, as the president of the Congress party, now, in his uh, resignation letter, he writes that, you know, he's worried about, uh, you know, the fabric of India being ripped uh, by the current uh, government and regime. And also that Hindu nationalist uh, uh, and Hindutva politics risks um, uh, transforming the country into something that it hasn't been before. Uh, and also that the independent institutions that have been so strong in India previously are now shifting in loyalty or becoming more loyal to the government. Is that a worry that you share? Um, I think that there, there is this worry uh, that this might happen and uh, I think that it needs to be discussed as well because it will be very important for India uh, in the future, but I also believe that um, this new framework of ideas that BJP has presented, the idea of what India should be, it is quite different from the India at the time of independence and the values that were enshrined in India's constitution. For example, the, um, the fact that India should be a secular state. Um, it is quite it is quite contested now, and also the uh, minority rights and group rights and uh, how how much should India pay attention to its minorities and how much should the majority sort of have um, their say of what India should become um, I think that uh, there might be a reason to worry what will happen to India's institutions. We saw even the Election Commission of India, which usually has a very good reputation, even uh, were criticized at this time. And um, um, at the same time, uh, a large part of India's population support a strong leader, uh, and that's what they find in Narendra Modi. And uh, that support might be stronger than the support for uh, democracy and human rights norms. Thanks. Um, so, um, the neighborhood was Modi's uh, um, when he came to power in 2014 and also now 2019. The immediate neighborhood has been uh, a preference uh, for him, uh, neighborhood first policies uh, in his foreign policy portfolio. And uh, the neighbors uh, are, uh, you know, have, a mixed have mixed feelings towards India as the regional he hegemon. So, Isha, you have been looking at um, at India's neighborhood-first policies and uh, the, what we can expect for the coming years in India's relations towards its neighbors. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, and thank you for coming uh, early in the morning. Yeah, so my focus in this panel would be on... Uh, India vis-a-vis -vis, uh, its neighboring countries and what to ex what has been happening in the in the first term of the BJP uh, Modi government and 
what are the continuities or ruptures we expect in the in the five years to come. Um, you know, to, to carry on from where Henrietta, uh, you know, something that she also pointed out is that the first, uh, the, the elections in 2014 were run uh, primarily on a very development-based agenda. You know, uh, the, the, the talk of Achedin or good days are here to come, and whatever that development would translate to different kinds of people was left a little ambiguous, but it was still, you know, definite policy, uh, you know, measures were uh, propagated or, or projected, and development was a plank on which it, it, it was run. but heading into the campaign for 2019 elections, so almost no uh, policy uh, measures being discussed. Uh, it was really run on foreign policy vis-a-vis -vis its, uh, its relationship with Pakistan and this very nationalist uh, stance that Modi has come to, uh, uh, has come to represent, uh, and the mood, the national mood, uh, which, which wants uh, a confrontation uh, with, with Pakistan and uh, this was delivered almost uh, on a platter to India or, or the government uh, on the basis of, you know, uh, the the Pulwama uh, attacks that happened on in 40 paramilitary uh, uh, troops, uh, 40 members of the paramilitary troops uh, in Kashmir, and uh, that escalated, and then India uh, had an air-based air combat where you know, we also, there was a pilot who went on that side and it became some few weeks of intense drama played out on national television all the time. And that gained a lot of milliage uh, for for the BJP government, for the for the party as it was campaigning for, uh, for uh, you know, for the elections. So to a large extent, the things that were being talked about in this election were not was not development, was not a report card on how they had done in the last five years. It was primarily that, you know, elect me because I am the strong man. I will, I will, I will, I will solve Pakistan for you. Uh, I will, uh, you know, or just a very aggressive uh, sort of stance. And that is, it, it's a little counter uh, intuitive to what his neighborhood first policy, to the government's neighbor, neighborhood first policy, uh, propagates which it wants more and more regional cooperation and uh, you know more collaboration between uh, India and its South Asian neighbors but in a way what is interesting is that there has been a shift uh, away from Pakistan even in that because SARC, which was the the collective, uh, the South Asian um, Association for Regional Cooperation, and Pakistan is a part of it. Over the over the years of of the current government, has receded more and more into the background, and has sort of been overtaken by uh, BIMSTEC, which is a more Bay of Bengal focused uh, focused collective, and Pakistan is not a part of it. So you know. One one reason for this would be that you know to uh, to now this unwillingness to engage with Pakistan on a strategic uh, uh, level uh, and also to counter China's influence, uh, uh, growing influence or its attempts to uh, gain more and more influence in the uh, in the South Asian region. Uh, and uh, yeah, the other thing that I wanted to talk about is that. Um, there are some continuities that this government uh, 
you know, from 2014 has had with, uh, not, not everything is a rupture from the Congress regime, because even the Congress had very established aspirations for India to become a great power, uh, not just in the region, but globally to become this great power recognized uh, on, like, at par with other centers of power. And that is something that the Modi government has even more aggressively taken forward. And uh, Mr. Modi almost sidelining the Ministry of External Affairs in trying to project himself as a representative of, uh, of, uh, of India outside of India. He's the one who, uh, you know, he's made unprecedented number of foreign visits uh, compared to any uh, other previous prime minister. And the Ministry of External Affairs has kind of remained in the background solving Sushma, Sushma Swaraj, who was the external affairs minister in uh, in the last term. She was a very popular external affairs minister, but she became popular for solving day-to-day -day issues of Indians abroad stuck somewhere. We didn't see her as, she wasn't as on the uh, forefront of things as, as, Modi, uh, uh, as Modi himself uh, has been. But this, this time, uh, Sushma Swaraj has not been continued as the external affairs minister. The new external affairs minister is uh, Subramaniam Jaishankar, who's a career diplomat. So he's not a politician. He's not a member of the BJ party, BJP party. And uh, that's something interesting. Uh, he's been a lifelong diplomat and IF, IFS officer. Uh, and how he takes forward, he's been instrumental in a lot of uh, foreign relations uh, related um, uh, developments in India over the last few years. So it will be interesting to see how he takes forward, uh, you know, uh, and how much of a center stage will now the Ministry of External Affairs be in uh, as compared to the other uh, earlier times when BJP almost became the External Affairs Ministry. Yeah. I mean, to go into uh, some other countries uh, in the in the neighborhood and their relationship uh, with India, uh, I work in Bangladesh, and uh, with Bangladesh, India has uh, had this relationship which has always de been dependent on which party is in power in Bangladesh. So. You know, there are two parties that alternate uh, power for some, right now it's been one party for some time, but it's either been the B BNP or the Awami League, and BNP is not very uh, uh, pro-India, so when it's in power, the relationships have deteriorated, and when it's the Awami League government, the relationship has been more stable. And for now, it's it's been good for, for some time, because it, both of them realize that Bangladesh, uh, uh, Bangladesh needs India, and India also needs Bangladesh so as to, you know, not allow China to become too influential in the region. And that side, the eastern frontier, is important because it's a little uh, vulnerable to China, from China, China's side. So it's been a stable, mutually beneficial relationship. Uh, the one other thing I want to point out about Myanmar, and, and we talked about human rights, and I think uh, uh, the president of India visited uh, visited Myanmar uh, on a state visit, and they were they talked about a lot of uh, regional cooper cooperation and a lot of those issues, but uh, India has been kind of silent or reluctant uh, on uh, on the issue of the Rohingya crisis. So yeah, I mean we can take forward. Uh, I, I mean, it'll be difficult to go into each of the countries, but we can, like, you know, discuss more. Yes, yeah. we, we will have time for uh, a Q&A as the session, uh, just before ending the session. But I 
thank you so much for yeah. this presentation. So there, uh, I mean, it's it's difficult to discuss India's neighborhood without mentioning and discussing China's and China's yes. role here. So yeah. mm, I have a sense that um, over the last few years, the priorities have clearly shifted. I mean, this, the strategic competitor, mm -hmm. if you yeah. use that word, would be China. Yeah. Um, so if you look at, um, would you see that there is a, a, a growing sense of competition within the South Asia region between India and China about influence and, and opportunities and so forth? I mean, whether all of the South Asian countries are competing within the, within themselves, uh, rather whether India and China are competing oh. in the region right. uh, for influence. Yeah, definitely, because India for for the for for a long time has been the big brother in in the region, and it's it's, it's been the dominant uh, power within the region. And suddenly, China has been coming in. Not suddenly, it's been it has been going on, but it's very palpable now the presence of China through the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, and. China understands that this region is important and it is it is looking to make inroads into it and India understands the threat uh, uh, to it and uh, it's been uh, it's been doing its own uh, you know building some relationships which have been left on the wayside with Nepal in, uh, for instance uh, China has been very instrumental in some of their development projects and India had let go of that relationship uh, in, you know after the blockade in 2015 but now it wants to pick up from where it left and build that relationship because again you know the, th the Chinese uh, uh, threat that is looming and uh, it's primarily been uh, you know the belt and road initiative, promises a lot of things to a lot of the South Asian uh, and East, uh, Southeast Asian countries. And to be able to uh, uh, to explain uh, why or, or to, to be able to give alternatives to that has been difficult for India. For India, strategically, the Belt and Road, initi and road uh, uh, Initiative is problematic because one part of it passes through Pakistan-occupied Kashmir. This CPEC, the, uh, the corridor, passes through Pakistan-occupied Kashmir, and that's what India has a problem with. But I feel maybe you know India could, you know, very strongly say that CPEC is a problem, but still try to uh, not isolate itself from the Belt and Road Initiative. You know, engage with it at some strategic level would would probably be beneficial. That's what I what I think. But would you would you see that there is a, a vision as for mm. South Asia within mm. Modi's foreign policy or the BGP's foreign policy agenda? Do they have a vision for South Asia, or is it just mm. to project India's influence in the neighborhood? The vision, you know, so you know, continuing from this aspirations of of, of being a great power, the other uh, the other uh, plank on which India's foreign policy has been has been uh, staked is this idea of multi uh, multi modal uh, uh, you know nodes of power that uh, power. Uh, Strategic power does not should not rest with just one pole or one hegemonic uh, uh, center, but there can be many poles of influence within the global order, and uh, uh, so there, there is obviously the U.S. Uh, there is uh, there is China as this emergent, uh, very dominant power in Asia, and and then South Asia. The, the aspiration is for South Asia to become uh, one of these regional as which has 
a lot of entanglements with global politics and global uh, balances of power also to be one of these very influential poles of multimodal power. Yeah. That's, that's one vision I think that they have. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So thank you so much. We have about five, six minutes for questions uh, and uh, we'll club them together a few. Uh, we have one over here and over here. And My here. name is Willem Conander. I live in Delhi. Uh, first of all, I would like to, to, talk, to thank the uh, speakers for interesting talks. Then I would move on to what you, uh, Henrik, mentioned that Rahul Gandhi yesterday resigned uh, the chairmanship of, of the Congress Party, uh, which brings me, me to my question related to the Congress Party. Uh, one of the key factors attributed to, to the loss of the Congress Party uh, in, in the recent elec elections is the lack of reunion in Congress. The old party leadership still holds on to power. Uh, Still, it's, it's taken 66 weeks for Rahul to resign. Uh, amid uh, rumors of, of fractions wanting to break out of the Congress party and form new parties. Uh, which brings me to my questions. Uh, how do you consider the chances or risks of the Congress party breaking up and splitting into to new parties? Uh, will uh, a new generation uh, in the Congress Party be able to to assume leadership and uh, better represent, represent uh, the actual electorate, which is a lot younger these days. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Thank you for a very interesting session. My name is Max. Uh, my question is about the um, historically massive general strike that took place in the beginning of January uh, with approximately 115 to 200 million workers in 10 central uh, trade unions. Um, do you think that general strike had an effect on the election? Uh, and what would you say about the uh, workers' movement of India? Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes and over here. Well, it was also about the Congress Party. If you please could elaborate a little bit about the, the leadership in the, in the Congress Party, what will happen now? Okay. Three questions. Excellent questions. So, um, uh, should I start and then perhaps yeah. you fill yeah. in? Um, so, about uh, the Congress Party, I'll start with these two questions. Well, I think uh, the problems with the Congress Party didn't start with Rahul Gandhi, but they started in 1970s, mid 1970s, with um, with um, centering of power around um, Indira Gandhi and the dismantling of the regional structure. Um, I think uh, um, that was also the turning point when when the sort of ideational or idea uh, generating work in Congress actually was reduced. So I think um, uh, it's hard to predict what will happen. Um, I think there is a great risk of a split uh, as um, uh, almost the only thing that holds the Congress party together now is the dynasty, which is also its biggest uh, problem. So I think there's a, a risk for a split. I think they have 
a lot of work to do with re both bringing up a new, um, uh, you know, rewarding new leaders, uh, and also to actually start with the um, uh, to work on on um, their uh, a new ideas platform, which they have been lacking for a very long time. Um, I don't know if you have any. Uh, um, Anything to add on this? And not much, just that, as you said, the, the Gandhi dynasty has sort of been what has kept the party together, and there is a lot of um, a lot of people don't want the Congress party uh, to give up uh, Rahul Gandhi as a leader leader either. So um, I think that. He has said that he will resign and he has handed in his resignation letter. I'm not sure that we will actually see him <laughs> resign in the end. So, um, uh, but yeah, they, they need a stronger vision to be able to counter the BJP's uh, vision of India. Yeah. So, I think what the Congress party has lacked for a long time is, is to plan years in ahead, years ahead. What BJP coming to power in 2014 was not five years of planning. The BJP and the RSS, which is the larger Hindu Hindutva, uh, you know, collective in India, has been planning. Probably was was setting things in motion for the last 40 years. You know, establishing local le levels of of engagement with people. Uh, you know, having local leader, uh, local party cadres being very active. The regional, provincial levels, uh, uh, state levels of the party offices being very, very, uh, uh, you know, engaging very actively in, in regional politics. And that is something that the Congress used to do in colonial times. Congress uh, had these big superstar leaders like Jawaharlal Nehru and, and Patel, but there were also national level leaders who had very strong regional, uh, you know, uh, support bases and you know so, so there was Rajendra Prasad uh, who was the first president of India and he was a very uh, popular leader in Bihar as well as being a national level leader and that is what Congress party at some point let go of it its regional offices are almost very uh, are almost ghost offices uh, they don't have people working at the grassroots levels and that is why th they haven't cultivated even local leadership uh, or state level leadership that that can at some point take over and become national uh, and occupy the national stage so the congress party to be able to you know once again be revived it cannot think over the next for the next election it cannot even think plan just for the next two elections it probably has to plan for the next 40 years to get back into power if at all so yeah that kind of foresight is something that the bjp has and it works very actively there's a local there's an earthquake and the party cadres are the first to reach to give relief which is you know something that people remember and then they vote for it on the question of the strike and uh, the uh, the labor workers movement um would you like to uh, comment on this? Um, yeah, well, uh, like the <coughs> labor rights, it hasn't really figured as one of the most important issues for the voters in the election. Unemployment was a, a large issue and uh, price rise as well as corruption and uh, terrorism. Uh, but workers' conditions hasn't been on the agenda in the same way. 
Um, the situation for farmers has also been troublesome for a long time, and uh, uh, I think the BGP maybe feared that the farmer distress, uh, that you might call it, would be a problem for them uh, in being re-elected. But I don't think that uh, this strike and these issues actually matter that much in the election. Just a brief uh, follow-up on that. I think also the labor movement uh, landscape is changing quite a bit. You had previously labor unions that were affiliated to Congress and very strong, but now you have labor unions that are affiliated with the BGP and uh, Shiv Sena, for example, in, uh, in Maharashtra. So it's also fragmented and not as uh, prominent as it used to be when Congress was the sort of state-bearing party. So I think uh, we have to conclude, uh, but we'll be here for a couple of minutes more if you want to um, ask any further questions. Uh, but with that, I thank you and I also thank the help that we have had from Ilva and Stephanie and, and, and you. Thank you. And to the panelists. Thank you. Find us on www.ui.sc. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden. And we're also on YouTube, where you can watch our seminars and interviews. <laughs>